Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. And if the voice sounds it, I don't really know. I, I, well, it's always hard to judge your own voice, right? Which is a trip too. if you've ever been on the radio. Um, don't turn your don't turn your own show on. I, I, I really respect guy. We're going to get into finance. The most scintillating hour in finance radio. You're not going to like your own voice on the radio, right? How's that for a pivot? Um, but a great show planned for you today. Uh, it, it, it really excited to dig into some stuff. So much news. Uh, so much going on. Want to talk some politics as it relates to finance. I'll probably get a little bit off track there. So just, I want to prep you for rant. Be rant prepared. Okay, rant ready. Because um, I do want to address some of the things. And for those of you, I, I know there's probably a lot of you out there that listen to the show because there are no politics in it. You can just get straight finance. We all know that that's <laughs> getting the straight story without fi- without uh, politics and, and somebody's personal views being interjected. Um, it's pretty rare. Uh, and the reason why I want to do this and go a little bit, again, I'm not going to opine. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go all partisan and, and go after it. I want to keep the focus of the show. Um, I, I just read a fascinating tweet last night that really left me feeling convicted for lack of a better term. Um, not for anything bad, not because I think that I was doing something. It left me feeling convicted that I felt convicted that I needed to discuss it. Right. Um, I'm not Rush Limbaugh. This is some nationally syndicated show. That being said, it is a platform and um, I'm thankful for it. I don't deserve it. And um, but I do think it's an extraordinarily important message for all of us. Uh, that was that was layered into this tweet. So I'll, so I'll break that down in, the, in, in market update in just a second. Um, but also want to spend a segment talking about uh, uh, China. Sorry, a little pause there. And what I was going to say, <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place right now. W- what I was going to say when I start talking about my voice is if I sound a little bit different, I usually record the show around 10 to between 10 and 11 a.m. on Friday. Um, I am recording now at right after market open. Well, actually it's a little bit, that went fast. It's about 6.59 AM Pacific time. Um, so, and I've been up for a couple hours now. I just haven't been talking. So anyway, my voice sounds a little bit weird in the headphones. It's still me. (laughs) Just kind of that, that, uh, that wake up voice, if you will. So anyway, want to talk about, uh, want to talk about that the market update, wanted to get to the economic side of things, update on inflation, update on economic outlooks. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it all, we'll cover all that in the market update. Um, and then I wanted to spend a significant amount of time on China. Um, and then I wanted to talk uh, a couple hit points on an interview that I did yesterday for, for somebody else's YouTube channel podcast show. And uh, I thought it was a Great interview, not because when I say that, I'm not saying that, I mean, you guys can be the judge as far as what I said, because I'm, I'm attempting to air it. I'm trying to work it out with the guy, get his approval for us to air his interview on our show. I, I don't think it'll be a problem because you know, it gives him more, uh, more promotion, but I got to get his okay first. Um, and, uh, the reason why I want to air it is because I thought it was a really thoughtful interview um, and that's rare. If you've ever been interviewed, interviewing is not something that's as easy as it sounds. And I know because I, I do it all the time. Um, and I was shocked at first how hard it was. Um, and if you've got somebody that's really talkative and easygoing and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's easy, right? It does itself. It's when anytime you run into a bump, anytime, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an interview where 
somebody's in a bad mood that day or what, you know, where you've got to pull teeth, you got to keep it going. Anyway, I just thought he was really professional and he asked questions and plumbed in places that I hadn't been asked before. And he made me think about things that I haven't been asked about before, or certainly not recently. Um, and it's not, I don't want to, I don't want to air the interviews because, well, you've got to listen to this incredible interview that I did. <laughs> it's not that. Um, I actually just thought the back and forth discussion was great. And, and, and he is extraordinarily informed. Um, the guy really does his homework and that's always fun, right? Iron sharpens iron. It's always fun to have somebody else that really knows what they're talking about. Uh, you know, questioning you, right? Uh, testing you running you through, fi- through the fire. So I'm going to try to air that. So if you are a subscriber to the podcast, which for listening to the show, come on, guys, subscribe to the podcast. The bigger our subscriber numbers get, the bigger uh, interviewers we get. If you look at our interview list over the last five years, you'll see it. It's just grown in terms of prominence. Um, you know, that's that's what we all want to do, be able to get the, the big names on the show. Also, randomly, Okay, if anybody out there somehow knows or has a connection to David Tepper, this is such a long shot, but I I am trying to work different channels and I don't have any connections to him. I, I like I don't want you to I'm working my channels. I, I don't have. <laughs> okay. It's not like I'm calling, <clears throat> you know, Jim Cramer and having him hook me up with his good buddy, uh, David Tepper. I don't have any connections, but if the, the Internet is a wonderful thing. Right. Um, I you cannot be surprised or, or I'm always shocked at different places that people hear the show and different people that call in. So if anybody out there happens to know David Tepper, connect with him. First of all, I would just love a chance to interview him because he is one of the hedge fund managers that I look up to the most in terms of the way he does things, his attitude, um, his philanthropy. And then also he bought the Carolina Panthers, right? The merger of finance and football. I mean, talk about my love language. And I would just love to pick his brain about finance and football. And some of the transactions, and I talked about this on the show was a couple weeks ago, where I, I, it, 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 I laughed when I saw the Carolina Panthers sign Baker Mayfield because I thought it was a beautiful investment buying low with blowout potential and no downside. And I would just like love to pick his brain because I've always thought I watch these teams draft, right? I watch these teams make free agent decisions and I look at it all the there's all the time where I sit there and I go, look, I don't know how this will turn out. Maybe this guy will be an incredible ball player. Uh, Maybe he'll be great for the team, but this looks like a horrible risk reward scenario. For instance, let me give you an idea. Tyreek, Tyreek Hill, dynamic receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, signed a contract with the Miami Dolphins. Let me just tell you, that, might, that, that, that is going to be a brutal contract for Miami to carry. They signed him for $120 million. He's a great talent. He's a great receiver, but he's a slot guy. He's got elite field-breaking speed. Anyway, I don't want to bore you guys that don't like football. That was a horrible risk-reward. Horrible. Okay? Then you look at the Baker Mayfield. Anyway, point is, I would just love to be able to pick David. He's he's you he ever had those people that are like mentors from a distance where every single thing you can suck up about him and do um that's I just I really admire the way that he goes about it. I can relate to it. He's really competitive. Um anyway, I just I anybody out there shoot me an email, contact me, email the show, whatever. If you can get us in touch with David Tepper, I'd really appreciate it. Okay, so let's get the market update. What's happening? Um First of all, look, I'm not going to brag. We'll see how it plays out. This isn't to stick it to him, but this is to illustrate, if you will, the futility of media. Like, I need to warn you guys, right? I I think that we all know that. And if you don't understand the futility of media, you're probably not paying attention. But I saw this hilarious headline on CNBC last night where – you know, they got the picture and the, the guy with his head in his hands, you know, looking all apoplectic. And the, the, the headline of the article is uh, uh, summer rally was a classic bear market rally, says, you know, history shows. And, and so the pros say whatever. And I just start dying laughing. And I and I retweeted the article and I went, fantastic. Now you tell him. Right. I, I, 
Wasn't it just three weeks ago where they were telling you, here it comes, baby, new bull market, baby. And look, it still could be right. I I just I, I always think it's funny when people spike the football early and you're just like, man, this is a long game, right? It is the definition of it's the definition of the long game. Right. I mean, that's 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 investing. Um, But I just you look at the you're sitting there going, what? Anyway, I don't I I don't want to go on and on about it. But another illustration, guys, and I will just tell you this right now. If you are watching financial news and you are watching CNBC to to assist you in investing, one of the biggest pieces of advice I give you is turn it off. Okay, turn it off. The. It's not that I'm going to sit there and go, these people are liars. They're part of a conspiracy. It's none of that. It's if they were any good at what they do, they wouldn't be on the TV. They'd be managing money. Okay. So uh, Jim Cramer with one exception. Um, I disagree with a lot of what Jim says. You guys know that. But I do think he's a decent guy that is trying to do the best. I know there's people out there that don't agree with me. I just don't think Jim has a malicious bone in his body and I don't, and, and he and I have gotten to some spats or not, not some one. Uh, we got into a Twitter back and forth about the volatility implosion in, in, in January um, of 2018 was January, February. Anyway, right in there. I think it was beginning of February end of January, 2018. And he was kind of rude and condescending to me on Twitter but, you know, he gets – when you've got that many followers and stuff, he, probably, he gets idiots saying rude stuff to him all the time. And I don't hold that against him. But I, I, just, I just wanted, you know it, – it's – so him aside, I, I don't think that his show is particularly helpful. Actually, you know what? Here's, here's actually a good piece of advice. When you're in a bull market and you're in economic expansion, I don't think he's a bad guy to listen to. If you want to know when to get out of the way and when there's a lot of risk in the system and all that kind of stuff, he's not the guy to listen to. Anyway, I'm getting off course. So I, I was just laughing about that because I was sitting there going, you know, nobody want to put – and that it's a classic example, right? Oh, it was a classic bear market rally. Nobody was saying that on CNBC two weeks ago. Nobody. We were, right? And the reason they weren't saying it and we were is not because I knew they were wrong, Right? And I think I told you guys that on the show multiple times, that this is what I think I've been wrong before, but that's that injection of humility. And I'm not, I am not awarding myself that title of being humble, but when it comes to this business, I am why? Cause I've been kicked in the teeth several times and what you do, what you learn in doing this job after a while, there's what you think is going to happen. And there's what actually does happen. And oftentimes those things are different. And you're playing a very, very complex game with an infinite number of variables, and that is inevitable. That's why I always say there's nobody out there that knows things. The, the issue I have with some of these, I'm going to coin a word here, charlatanic, right, media outlets, is that they're always going to speak with this air of certainty and this air of superiority and this, this air of expertise, and they're not going to caveat their own thoughts, Oh, it's a strong buy. It's this, it's that, you know, cause that's what makes headlines. And unfortunately it's not what makes good investing and it's not what generates good results. And it's all about getting ratings as opposed to actually giving good direction. Um, so anyway, let's <clears throat> rest the market update. So a little bit of a market bounce that faded really quick though. Again, seven Oh nine Friday morning. Uh, market tried to rally because uh, jobs estimates slightly or, or job numbers slightly beat estimates. Once again, guys, I'll tell you, um, if you're watching job numbers and unemployment rates for economic cues, don't. It's it's the leading. It's the lagging indicator of all lagging indicators. OK, and one of the hallmarks of the end of a bear market or bull market is the last thing every bull is hanging on to is job numbers. And they're the last thing that rolls over. And so by the time that guy gets the picture, right, like in 2008, for instance, those people were already down 20 to 30 percent on the year. Right. And once you're down 20 to 30 percent, you're married to it because the death is a money manager. If you're down 30 percent is then to get bared up at that moment and miss a bounce back. Right. That's another reason why we like to manage risk. I hate being in those situations. I think it's better off to avoid being down 30% out of the gate, 
right? Now, sometimes will that cost us a little upside? Yeah, it did last year. Stock portfolios were up 20% last year. Market was up 26. We underperformed. Now, my fund was up 28. Our momentum fund had was not up that much. Our momentum, momentum fund was up 11 or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and the momentum, momentum fund was only up 11 or 10. Anyway, the, the, the average combined was at 20. Um, but the momentum fund did its job. Right. Halfway through the year, it didn't like what it see. And so it sat in 50 to 60 percent cash the last half of the year and didn't catch that rally. Right. But it's the momentum funds also down 7 percent this year and the market's down 16 now, 17. NASDAQ's down down 27 percent on the year. So it did its job. Um, but but one of the one of the keys to that, like I've said before, is not getting down like that in the first place. Right. And on our side of it, managing retirement money, especially in markets like this, we just can't take those risks. And I would much rather be clear headed right now. You know, I, again, we got hit a little bit yesterday in, in, in value just because <laughs> headline comes up. Oil gets hammered for some reason. Everybody thinks the energy crisis. So, oh, energy crisis averted. You know, oil's back to normal. Um, here's and here's a here's a here, here's another you know, I'm, I'm kind of switching all over the place here, but but. Talking about the jobs numbers, now this market's all over the place. Here's an, let me give you another pro tip here. When you're looking at markets and trying to figure out what's going on, um, in general, you should pretty much ignore the first hour and a half to two hours of the trading day. Okay, that is going to be light, typically pretty light volume, and typically the vast majority of trades that go through in the first hour and a half to two hours of the trading day are retail investors. And, um, what you'll often see is that initial move, which in this market has been up, right? Market typically has its strongest run in this market, in this environment, right at the beginning, but cracks me up a little bit. This market can't figure itself out headline out there. Again, what's driving this rally. I mentioned this earlier, a little bit better jobs numbers than, than, uh, were, were thought. And again, like I told you, jobs numbers don't want to pay attention to it. Here's the extra kicker, though. With each individual solid jobs report, it actually gives the Federal Reserve more cover to raise more rates. So I just don't I don't think this is a positive thing, not not for stocks. Uh, Like I said, the other thing is watch the jobs numbers. They're going to roll over. Right. The macro data keeps rolling in, guys. It's a it's a it's a flipping disaster. It really is. Uh, it's very hard to be constructive about anything. And you, if you're out there going, well, that's usually a good time to buy. You are 100% correct. Okay. The oddity with where we're at right now is there is all of this horrible stuff happening. And they're like, well, yeah, Jack, but the NASDAQ's down 26%. Not really. You know, not really. I mean, look at the valuation of this thing. This thing is still ridiculously overvalued. The idiocy of this market isn't anywhere close to done, right? I, I'm looking in this environment. I'm looking at who is that analyst? Some bank came out and said that they're upping Tesla's price uh, target to 60, no, $360 a share. So implying about uh, virtually 50% upside. So they're forecasting. Like a $1.4, $1.5 trillion market cap for Tesla. Why do I think that's important? Because, well, you guys know my thoughts on Tesla. I think the cars are great. I I think the company is ridiculously overpriced. It has absolutely no correlation to underlying value. And I firmly believe before this run is over, you will see you will see Tesla trade at below a four hundred billion dollar market cap, and then from there it's anybody's game. One of the reasons I say that now is their sales are slipping. They're losing. They are losing share in Europe. They are losing share rapidly in China. That that the growth story that has driven this company and everybody treats it like a tech company. That that's another funny one. They go, it's not a car company, it's a tech company. And I don't want to get off on a Tesla rant. But when 95% of your revenue, 96% of your revenue comes from selling cars, you can call yourself a UFO. It, it doesn't change anything. You're, you're a car company. So you look at the other car companies and you look at what they, you know, anyway, everybody acts like it's, it's, it's Tesla. Tesla's stock is priced as if somebody stuffed the bumper with $100 bills. 
It, it's just, it makes absolutely no sense. And they go, well, yeah, but they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I'm like, yeah. And according to Elon Musk, we should have a self full self-driving taxi service and it should be four years old right now. Okay. Cyber truck, semi truck, all the, well, it's coming, it's coming. Great. Then let's see it. Right. But, but once again, you know, semi truck, there's going to be a ton of competition and there's going to be a ton of competition in that, in that realm that is actually better suited to compete with you. And one of the reasons why is there's a lot of these other realms. Like you look at Packard here in the Northwest, which I actually love the stock long-term. Um, we don't own it right now. That's not a recommendation, but they're the leaders in semi trucks right now. And they are working on a fully electric and a hybrid option and why does PACR have such an advantage? Well, A, they know what they're doing. They've been building semis and doing stuff for years, right? They own Peterbilt and Kenworth. The other reason why I'm a big fan of them is they have by far the most robust parts supply network around the world. And what do you use semi-trucks for? Use them for work. The faster you can get those trucks out of the shop back on the road, they're making you money. So having an internationally integrated parts, you know, distribution network is a big deal. And it takes time to build, right? There's a lot of expertise that goes into that. So anyway, but when I see stocks like that still getting those price target raises in this environment, looking at the trends, it, again, I'll just tell you this to me is a Wiley Coyote moment of the market. Um, I think that this bounce we've seen here, people are like, well, now we're off the highs again, guys. You're getting a chance to sell this thing. You're going to get another 75 basis point rate hike in, in September. Brace yourself. And, and the macro indicators are falling off a cliff. Okay. This is where you need to, you need to, when we get into this and, and we are very much in a bear market, like I said, it could change at any time. I don't think it's going to, but the, you've got to change the way you think, right? When you see overly optimistic stuff, right? In the last couple of years, you just bought that stuff. You don't do it now. All right. So anyway, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, but but guys, nothing really has changed here. I think volatility is still really cheap. I think it's a wonderful way to hedge the portfolio right now. Um, we're moving into September. I would expect some serious fireworks this month. Um, and if not this month, next this month, next. Also, seasonally, one of the things that, that, that's got us a little bit on edge is you look at it historically. The worst time for the market is September and October. Um. And like I said, this is not 2008, 2009. It's not the financial crisis, but man, there's a lot of similarities. Anyway, um, let's, let's take a quick break right here. As always, guys, if you want greater thought, if you want actively managed portfolios, if you want a portfolio that can be flat or slightly positive overall, I think our, I think we're slightly positive now on the year for the average client. When you add up all the parts of portfolio, stock portfolios are down. I think three to four, three and a half right now. I'd have to check. I haven't checked this morning, but you know, basically hovering right around even markets having a tough run, right? NASDAQ's down 26%. S and P's down 17. What is that? That's risk management, active management. If you want that, if you want somebody that's constantly watching your money as if it was their own, because the performance of your money determines how they can feed their family, <laughs> right? Give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free 
booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. All right, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead here and and address that little political issue that I was talking about. Um, for those of you that listen, I want to be really I want to be really transparent here, just 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 to illuminate my own potential bias. I am certainly more on what you would consider the conservative side of things. Uh, however, I am not a registered Republican. Um, as I often laughingly describe myself, I'm politically homeless. Um, and I have become increasingly more libertarian, uh, as I've gotten older in certain ways In other ways I have not, um, I'm just about freedom. I'm about Liberty, personal Liberty as inconvenient as it can be at times. Right. And that's one of the things that people, I don't like what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, there's a cause that's. It's the other thing in society today. Have you guys noticed that it, we we act as if there are no cost options, right? We act as if we can plug six and a half trillion dollars into economy and there are no repercussions. We act as if we can pay off five hundred billion dollars of student loan debt, which will be completely ineffectual. By the way, if you're going to do student loans, go two and a half trillion, pay them all off. It's the only way you're going to get any economic benefit. We, if you've got a kid out there that owns, owes $150,000 in student debt, what in the world does carving $10,000 do off for him other than boost your reelection chances, right? That, that, that $500 billion, and I, I, I'm just telling you economically, and this isn't me putting on a partisan hat. I'm just saying it like it is. You may as well look at that as a Biden reelection campaign donation. Right. That's all it is. There's no economic utility to it. Well, you're paying down people's debt and that's the right thing to do. No, it's not. You act as if that money's going to them. It's not. It's going to their lender. Right. And, and I and I've heard these comps. I've heard these guy. I heard recently a guy that described himself as a progressive pastor. Get up there and rip people that weren't supporting this. That Jesus Christ gave out uh, bread and fish to poor people. And and even in the Bible, they forgave debt every seven years. This and 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 I sat there and I went, excuse me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you equating? Are you really equating giving away $500 billion that probably shouldn't have been lent out in the first place, half a trillion dollars of taxpayer money to pay off somebody else's student loans. Are you equating that to the debt jubilee of the old Testament? Because if you are, you might be a progressive pastor, but you're also an ignorant one. And you're one that probably needs to study your Bible a little bit more. Why do I say that? Because the debt jubilee system that they had set up was not about the forgiveness of debt. It was about the prevention of usury, right? And for those of you who don't know, usury is trapping people in unrealistic loans that you know that they cannot repay and putting them at an onerous interest rate. Think of credit cards today, right? There's a good example of usury. But, but the debt jubilee was that all debts were forgiven every seven years, so when those seven years came up, how much debt do you think? And this is historically, guys, this isn't like a fictional Bible story. There's many records of this, and you can actually see the residue of it in Sharia law, right? They actually have laws in, in Sharia law about not charging interest on money because it's theft. There are actually some there, – there's a lot about Islam that I really respect, right? The, the discipline – I love the, the thing they have in there about usury, keeping people out of debt, recognizing the evil of that, um, because it is, in my opinion. And um, uh, But comparing that to the so, – so every seven years when that debt forgiveness came out, how much debt do you think was forgiven? Virtually none. Do you know why? Because lenders back then, like a lot of lenders today, they're not retard – I shouldn't say that word. That word is – I strike that word. No, no R word. I don't, and I'm not, not because I'm politically correct, just because if it does offend anybody out there, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, but they're idiots, right? They're idiots. There is no comp to, to debt jubilees, right? You're just historically illiterate. 
people people were not idiots back then. Lenders were not idiots back then, just like most lenders aren't idiots today. So my whole point was every seven years when that debt jubilee came across, how much debt was forgiven? Virtually none. Why? Because nobody lent out further than seven years. Right? We, we, what you, you think you're going to, if you've got a debt jubilee every seven years, you think you're issuing 30 year money for houses? No, it's ridiculous. And then, and then the debt jubilee was, if you did, if you got greedy for whatever reason and got out over your skis, you had to write that debt off. Who had to write it off? The lender, right? That's not what we're doing. We're taking tax money and reappropriating it, putting it in the lender's pockets. Now, I realize these are mostly federal loans and all that kind of stuff, but it's still my point. You're not, there's not a forgiveness of debt. You're paying it off. That's a different deal, right? The whole point of the debt jubilee was to prevent people from getting in debt in the first place. The actions these people are taking, they are sanitizing. They're anesthetizing the debt. They're making it less painful. What do you think they're teaching those kids that took out the student loans? Take out more. You're going to get paid. You're going to get bailed out by the government. It's the new American way, baby. Get your PPP money, right? Get your bailout money. It's just, it, it's just disgusting. And then that brings us into the speech that I sat there and heard last night. What happened to uniting us? What, what happened to uniting us, right? To sit there and listen to a sitting president of the United States refer to half of the country as extremists. First of all, let's take a look at this mathematically. Walk me through. Apparently, the good president does not understand the base, basis of statistical analysis or mathematics. And, and listen, you may hate me and what I think, but the wonderful thing I love about numbers and math when they're not contorted and twisted, manipulated is that they're just numbers. They don't really care about you or your ideology. They are what they are, right? It is, it is statistically impossible for 50% of the country to be extremists. It's not really how bell shaped distributions work, right? Now, could you say 15% of the case? Yeah, that's a pretty fat tail, but you can make that argument. I'm not saying I I agree with that. I'm just saying, yeah, 15% of a population could be extremists. How do you call half the country extremists because they don't agree with you? They're not advocating anything illegal. What about Trump? What, what, Trump's not in office anymore. Why? What are we still talking about? Well, because he's trying. Trump, look, listen, and, and for all you out there that love and worship at the, at the altar of Trump, I'm not beating and I'm not being condescending when I say that. I'm just saying, look, if you're back in Trump, I just don't think it's a good bet because he's not going to get reelected. Okay, he's not. Look what just happened in Alaska. Right. Sarah Palin couldn't even carry her own. Well, that's because she got the other Republican ran against her, Zach. No, go look at the totals. The Democrat challenger got 52 percent of the overall vote. Had there only been one Republican running, she would have gotten more. If you're not going to win in Alaska. You think Trump's going to win the I mean, this is ridiculous. So what are we still talking about him for? Now, other than the fact of the stuff that's gone down in Mar-a-Lago, I don't understand why that doesn't concern everybody, right? That should be a danger. That should be a warning sign to everybody, at least to look into it. Look, I don't know the ins and outs yet. I think it looks really bad. It looks like you're weaponizing parts of the government against political opponents. I'm not saying that's what happened. I don't know. Sure what it looks like. But then to listen to that speech last night, and here's the most frustrating part about it, because as as a country, the way we're going to move forward, and this gets to this Twitter thread, um, and, and really, I think everybody should read it. And I don't agree with every single word of it. Okay. But the ethos behind it and the thought behind it, I think are smack dab right on. And it's the message that this country desperately needs, in my opinion. And go to my Twitter's page at KYR radio, and you'll see it tweeted. I tweeted it last night. And the guy makes the argument that until a president, until somebody prominent, somebody in power, somebody with the ability to actually make change stands up and really addresses the issues, right? If, if, if Biden would have come out and gone after the MAGA crowd, okay, I, I, I don't agree with what he said at all. But if he'd have done that and he'd have pivoted and said on the other side of it, we got people that want to advocate for double mastectomies for eight-year-olds that are confused about their sexuality, and want to, you know, burn down cities and do all that. That's another problem we're facing. And then the other problem we're facing is an out of control government. 
that is only in it for themselves, i.e. Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, right? Both sides. I think they're both crooks. I can't stand either one of them. Um, those are the people that are just in it for themselves, right? These are the three, you know, so again, my outlook on it is the whole MAGA Donald Trump thing, I think is a response to the whole woke craziness. That That's what I think it is. So I think when that gets pulled back in line, I think that, you know, I don't think without all the woke nonsense that Donald Trump ever would have been elected. And then, you know, out of control government and stuff like that, 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 that certainly inspired it. But it's just, it's just disheartening because I, you sit there and listen to that speech. And to me, it was reckless. It was irresponsible. It was inaccurate. It was divisive. And you sit there and go, what happened to uniting? You're not trying to unite anything. You're just trying to win an election. You're giving away $500 billion. And oh, by the way, the $500 billion handout for student loans. Do you guys remember? I remember a time when that amount of money mattered. Remember how everybody, we occupied Wall Street over $880 billion in 2008. We throw down $500 billion on a ridiculous student loan bailout. Nobody blinks. The birds are coming. The, the birds will come home to roost, guys. You can guarantee it. Anyway, so that was like my own little political diatribe. Again, like I've always said, this show is not about politics. It should be a place where we can just discuss finance, discuss investing, go forward. There's plenty of different places that we can listen to politics about. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to drive that drive that home. Um, but anyway, I, it's just it's so frustrating because I see us getting further and further away from answers as opposed to getting closer to them. So now let's take a little bit of pivot here. Um, China. I, in the interview that I did yesterday on the other guy's podcast, he asked me about what I thought the biggest risks in the world were. And to answer it uh, uh, concisely, I think there's a lot, right? Um, I think you're looking at the dollar index now, the DXY, trading at – where are we at on that here? We are trading at 109.20. We touched 110 yesterday. Um that is a destructive wrecking ball rolling through the global economy. Okay. You, you look at me and go, well, Zach, now, you know, S&P's up 1.140, NASDAQ 1.15, the, the summer rally's resuming. Okay. Great. Hope you're right. Just don't think you are. Right. It, the, the, like I've said to you guys, the one thing I know for sure is this is not the economic environment where good things happen. Okay. It's just not. People and I, I talked about the jobs numbers late. Just wait, wait till the end of October. You're going to see those numbers start coming down, right? I don't want to say I guarantee it. I could always be wrong, but you, you ain't even close to being out of the out of the weeds here. Okay, but the biggest risk I see out there is China. Why? They announced another lockdown the other day, twenty million people, and it's all for COVID, right? And that was based on a few hundred deaths in that city. I forget what city it was. And, uh, you know, any deaths are not good, right? We're not, we're not, I'm not making, I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. We don't want any deaths. But to think that the Chinese government is going to compromise their economy, because the other thing is the economic numbers coming out of China. And I'm talking about economic numbers that we can see, right? From things coming in and out of their country, not relying on their numbers. Economic numbers are ridiculously bad. It's ugly, right? And... The reason that that bothers me is because China is sitting on a massive credit bubble. And the way they've been able to sustain that massive credit bubble is because they've had a constant inflow of U.S. dollars, right, through companies working there, factories, all that kind of stuff. And what's happening now, right? It's, it didn't stop on a dime. It's not like everybody's just yanking all their production facilities out of China and there's nothing there anymore. I'm not, it's, not, it's not that. Okay, but people are offshoring things off of China now, right? They're diverting things, right? Maybe they're doing all this in China. Now they're doing part of it in Vietnam. Anyway, I think we have very much seen peak China flows, meaning, you know, I don't think three years from now, the amount of stuff that is being outsourced to China will be bigger than it was in the last 10 years. I just don't see it. And... That's a problem because like any Ponzi scheme, which a bubble essentially is, right? So you look at their economy and it's, it literally is a Ponzi scheme. When do Ponzi schemes collapse? They collapse when the inflows slow down, when the inflows become less than the outflows, all right? That is what's happening in China as we speak. And why is that a problem? Because like I said, they've got a massive credit bubble. And 
the only way they've been able to sustain it is they can print all this money, issue all this debt, and not suffer any currency degradation because they've got all those dollars coming in and they can buy their own currency on the open market. Right? So the minute they lose that ability, it's all over. And I think you're getting dangerously close to that point. And I think that that's one of the reasons they're doing these lockdowns. Like I've said, it's to conserve uh, commodities. It's to conserve food. Right? Because the more of that stuff they have to buy, A, you're right, their inflation rises because they're adding to global demand. And they also have to use dollars to buy all that. So they're depleting their dollars. They can't defend their currency the same way. And because I think they're in a really tough spot. Look, and predicting Chinese demise has been a very bad play over the last 10, 10, 15 years, because it's looked like a bubble. I wanted to short their currency back in 2015. Glad I didn't. Right. But it's been a, it's been a very bad play. The reason why I think now is such a poignant time is because the dynamics have changed. The, the ever growing river of dollars has stopped, right? It hasn't stopped completely, but it started receding. And remember, just like any other addiction, if you're, if you're with a credit bubble, you have to keep growing it. It's not enough to maintain, right? You have to keep growing it. And if they are as bad in an economic fix as it appears to me they are, that makes me extra nervous because when countries are desperate, especially if they're dealing with unrest and high food prices and fuel prices and they're trying to maintain control, historically, what do those countries do? They go to war. It's a great way to unite your political base, right? And you got Taiwan right off their uh, right off their coast, and a similar situation just played out in Ukraine. The Ukraine Russia scenario is very similar to the Chinese Taiwan situation. So that to me, you want to know something that any day we wake up in a currency devaluation or invasion in Taiwan that could just blow this whole thing apart. And I don't think it needs that. I think you're going to go through a nasty recession. I think it's already started. I think this market is going to be a bloodbath by the end of the year. Um, and we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm just saying, I don't think you need it to have a bad market outcome. I think that's going to happen anyway. But, you know, a storm is coming. And the whole China thing is an inevitability. It's going to happen. Question is when. And if you want protection from that, if you want those types of risks to be baked in to the pile of money that is supposed to finance the rest of your life, guys, call us. There's a better way to do this. We can give you more upside capability but have you with a portfolio that can protect you from this stuff. Far more, far less downside risk, more upside potential and less cost. There is a better way. We're actively managing. We're hedging the portfolios, protecting against loss. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with a piece of a recent interview I did with Chase Taylor, where he's going to give us another macroeconomic uh, update and uh, you guys should like it. We'll, we'll air part of that. And as always, we'll air the rest of it on the podcast. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Have a fantastic week. Stick with us. When we get back from the break, you'll hear the beginning of the interview. And uh, as always, we'll see you next week. You're listening to know your risk radio podcast, download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets, do better in bear markets, pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC. LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. 
for a little bit of a <clears throat> little bit of a special edition here. Uh, don't typically put out recordings midweek, but you know I think there's a lot going on to justify this, and I know that I've received a bunch of emails and texts and phone calls from family, friends, mostly clients, listeners, uh, especially the last two weeks, and it really culminated today. People scratching their heads going, wait a second, Zach, I thought high inflation was bad. And yet the markets are rallying like there's no tomorrow. So, um, <clears throat> you know, these are the times that try men's souls. That's probably overstating it. But um, a lot of confusion out there. And, and some of it is, you know, I, I can sympathize. And whenever we get in this situation, there's one guy we call. He's been on uh, with us a lot more regularly in recent months for pretty obvious reasons, at least to me, the macroeconomic uh, backdrop here. So when I, the minute I say macro listening listeners to this show, probably know exactly who I'm talking about. And we're joined today by Mr. Chase Taylor, a Pinecone macro research chase th- first of all, thanks for joining us on set short notice and uh, glad to have you with us again, pal. Yeah. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So l- let's come right out of the gate. We were talking about this a little bit off air and we t- talked about it this, this morning too. Um, I, I saying I'm surprised would be an overstatement because I'm to a point where nothing would surprise me in these markets. Uh, but I will tell you a little bit interesting to watch this market, uh, <laughs> throw a party because inflation expectations were at 8.7 and they came in at 8.5. Um, what, what are you a, I mean, just what do you make of that? Um, and quite honestly, Chase, before we even really get into the macroeconomic picture, let's take the economic hat off and just focus at markets. Um, now, the move doesn't surprise me at all. I know that you and I are tracking the exact same channel on the NASDAQ. So the action doesn't surprise me at all because this is now pu- pushing right up against the, the, the top line of that channel. It, it technically broke through today, but I mean, not in a st- statistically significant way. So I, I think we're still in that in that range. Um, I am a bit shocked by the <laughs> by the backdrop that has preceded and fueled this run, especially on the tech side. Um, and and the number one thing I'm and again, we'll start just by looking at markets. What the market seems to be thinking at this point is that the worst of inflation is over and we're just going to get things back to normal. Is that, is that a fair read or do you think the market's signaling something else? Yeah, I think, I think at the moment the, the most important thing is the market is not particularly concerned with growth, but it's very concerned with inflation. So obviously inflation is high and it's bad, but anytime you get something that is getting better, the market's just gonna, it's just going to latch onto that and it's going to run with it. So the fact that inflation was better than expected today that that was enough for the market to say, "Hey, cool, like let's go." Um, and as we talked about before, like it, that and the fact that like a lot of people are short, a lot of people are bearish. So that's like kind of a perfect combo to get a little bit of a, a squeeze, like ramp the way we did today. Yeah, it it's just I you know this is what markets do, and you and I are used to it, and this is especially the irrational moves that we've seen over the last three years i mean that's that's really been what it is w- What is amusing to me now is that the market is higher than when we were getting six and a half percent inflation prints, and we got eight and a half um <laughs> so you know it, it the market is now or the nasdaq specifically is twenty two percent higher than it was when the Fed raised another 75 basis points. So it almost seems like valuations are expanding as conditions get worse. Um, I guess that's probably the market forecasting or looking through and thinking the worst is over, which they could be right. Um, I still really have a tough time. Have you looked at earnings recently, Chase? Do you have any numbers on earnings for the S&P in the first two quarters of this year? No, honestly, I don't don't personally pay a ton of attention to earnings because I don't think the market cares about earnings as much as we all think i think you know today would be evidence of that chase yeah and a perfect perfect example is all the meme stocks like those made sense from a macro basis because you had a lot of liquidity and uh, you know and you had low inflation at the moment and now you have high inflation and low liquidity so that makes those kind of things make less sense but the the way i see it if the market doesn't care about earnings i don't care about earnings so i don't pay a lot of attention that's not to say i don't pay any attention like obviously in the long run, they matter. Um, but I think 
but I, I'm a macro analyst for for a reason. That's because I think macro moves markets more than more than earnings. So I haven't paid a lot of attention. Um, plus, plus, there's just so many games and earnings like versus estimates. You know, all you got to do is bring the estimates down, and then they look great when they beat them. Um, there's been a lot of that. I, I think uh, earnings growth has been kind of normal recently. Um, looking out in the future, it's kind of leaking lower if you if you look at the numbers. Um, so to me, earnings are kind of doing what they're supposed to do, but I think more broadly, like the market realizes inflation has probably peaked, but what I think the market does not realize yet is that growth has not bottomed. I think, I think the action you're seeing today is kind of like a, Hey, inflation peaked and growth is bottoming. Um, so let, like, there's no reason to go down. I think that's kind of like what's driving the market. And personally, I think the inflation part's right. I think inflation has peaked. But I think on the on the earning or the uh, the growth side, growth still has a long ways to go down, in my opinion. So I think that's that's where markets are getting it wrong, and and that's where when when the hard data comes out, the macro data for the next I don't know, call it six months, that that's where the the market's going to have to make some adjustments. Yeah, <clears throat> in this ba- this goes off of a because in my opinion, and I just want to lay this out so all listeners know what we're looking at. Um, if you guys have been listening to the show, you know I'm very much in the bear rally, uh, bear market rally camp. Um, I think you know the, one of the things we're looking at is I think you got the 200-day moving average on the Nasdaq, and it, you guys will hear me citing the Nasdaq. All right, guys. Unfortunately, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right here. But like I told you during the regular show, you can hear the rest of this interview free of charge on our podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. You can get us on Stitcher. You can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Play it right from your phone. Bluetooth it on your car. It's super easy. Um, And you can get all the interviews we've ever done. Anyway, you guys can be the ultimate judge. Anyway, have a great weekend, uh, and we will see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.